0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. I'm excited today to bring you Ryan Daniel Moran. Ryan has uh, been inspiring me for a while. He is the founder of capitalism.com. We get right into that one. He's also the author of a new book, 12 Months to 1 Million. And uh, I enjoyed this conversation and I, I had like really wanted to push back because we get into the fact that there's a lot of, um, I don't want to call it get rich quick things. But I, I questioned him on some of these things. And uh, he had some awesome answers. And quite frankly, I've seen some of the things he's done in the last three or four years. Uh, and, and actually, he got some uh, awesome endorsements by people that I look up to. Uh, so i had been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, also, these are the kind of like podcasts I really like because this was not an interview. This was definitely a conversation. And uh, I, I like the fact that he Uh, Was really, really candid uh, with a lot of his answers, and actually have been following him long enough. I'm not surprised about that at all. Um, But they had some really great nuggets of wisdom and some awesome uh, things to consider. So, if you are a budding young entrepreneur, you probably already know him. You should take a listen. Also, if you have uh, that student in your life that is starting to think about, you know, he's the kid that sells the bubble gum, or she's the girl that will always try to have a, a side business this is definitely for them as well. A um, lot, a lot, a lot of interesting takeaways. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm looking forward to the book because it seems pretty um, step by step. Here's how you go about things. And he also didn't sugarcoat it on some of the things it's going to take. So for those reasons, I think this is a, an episode you're going to thoroughly enjoy. Also uh, in the bio and, and, uh, and in, in the links here, uh, check out uh, some of the things he's working on and his book. All right, so let's get right to it. Ryan Moran of Capitalism.com. All right, I'm joined now by Ryan Moran. He is the founder of Capitalism.com. Actually, can we start off that? How did you get that URL? (laughs) 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 It actually is a
1: good story, Don. Uh, The story was that I mapped out the vision for the, the company that I wanted to build next, and... I knew that I needed to get a different domain name than the one that I had. And I found the owner of Capitalism.com. He had sat on it for uh, over 15 years to keep it out of the quote, wrong hands. And I uh, just struck a relationship with him. And over time, we came to a price that he was happy with. And uh, I bought it. It was a six-figure transaction and uh, with everybody.
0: So you reach out, So you reach out, I want Capitalism.com. I like the fact that you worked through a relationship for a while, so he knows that you're not just a crazy person. Uh, what was your vision for it up front?
1: So my, my background is in economics, and I started my first business while I was an economics student in college, and it was during the 2008 presidential election. So my background... You know, it was really formulated around that 2006 to 2010 era when I was in college. And so my passions around that time were politics, business, and entrepreneurship, and economics. And so the, the, the word that, capital, that captures that the most is capitalism. And I, also, I, just, I see the trend, especially among young people. I mean, you look at the statistics, more young people view socialism favorably than they do capitalism. That's a problem. <sighs> And so I set out to do something about that. And I realized that you couldn't really win people over to our side of the debate through debate. You had to do it by leading by example. And so I've been investing in empowering and in teaching entrepreneurs for years because I believe that's the best way that you change minds Mm. to the purpose of pro-freedom, pro-small government, pro-capitalist. And so that's the vision.
0: Where did you go to school?
1: I went to Indiana Wesleyan University, not near you. In Indiana? Yes, sir. Marion, Indiana.
0: Fantastic. Because yeah. there's other Indiana Wesleyans not in Indiana.
1: Correct. Yeah, there's one. Or there was one it's down the street from me in Ohio. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but
0: yeah, I went to the one in Marion, Indiana. Okay. Well, fantastic. Good good to hear from you, fellow Hoosier. By the way, so did Mark Cuban. Not necessarily. not necessarily india westland but was a hoosier transplant there for a while so got a lot in common uh no i was afraid you're well not insane you was gonna afraid i thought you were gonna say uh university of texas austin i'm like wow you really had your work cut out for you yeah trying to convert
1: (laughs) (laughs) one place in texas where capitalism still has some work to do
0: (sighs) and yet ask any musician if they want to buy their music anyway. (laughs) Got into this wonderful debate with a former student, and I love him to death, but he was just, uh, you know, capitalism was awful and all this stuff and how the perils of, and which by the way, I don't like crony capitalism, just like the other guy, but I'm like, name me one thing that you've used equipment-wise that wasn't brought to you by capitalism. Well, let me give you a different side of the, the debate, Don. Please, so. I was
1: I go to I go to Burning Man almost every year, and I am uh, probably the one. Um, if I were to wore my company shirt, I would stand out right at Burning Man. So, so I was I was at Burning Man, and the uh, there's a a young man who sat near me, and one of the sessions, and he asked me what I did for a living, and I told him about capitalism, and he kind of, you know, looked at me funny, like, Oh, that's interesting. And we had a nice, pleasant conversation. And, uh, and he said, I just think we could do better. We could come up with a better system that wasn't so self-centered. And I said, okay, great. Could you give me an example of anything, any system that is not self-centered? And he, and he kind of opened his hands and said, well, look around here at Burning Man. There's, here at Burning Man, we have no transactions that happen and everything seems to happen just fine. And I said, okay, well, let me ask you something. What is the one thing that is centrally provided here at Burning Man? And he said, well, the outhouses. And I said, yes, and when was the last time you cleaned one of the outhouses? And he went, I see your point. Because if there's, if, if there's no Ownership. There is no responsibility, and there's no. If there's no responsibility, then no one takes care of things.
0: Or, or you're placing blind faith into who makes the decision. I, my wife and I, and I feel guilty about this because I, I sometimes, um, passive aggressively uh, make comments about people that binge watch things on Netflix. So I was watching Netflix, <laughs> which I feel again bad about it. But I was watching this documentary called um, American Factory. And uh, it was this tale of uh, a GM plant that went under and a Chinese glass manufacturer took it over. And the interesting thing was, is that it was this really interesting take on uh, work ethic because they had sent a decent amount of people from China to live in Ohio into work and uh and and the workers that they kind of rehired from gm so about a year or so in the the people wanted to unionize and in some ways i understand why some of the safety things were up for debate but they had some of their workers from the United States come and visit to China and they're like well yeah we don't like American unions because here in communist china we're all union because if you're not working 16 hours a day That's not for the good of the company. Mm. And so they're like, yes, be union. But just know that like your individual rights. No, 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 no. There is no you unless there is a great company. And a great company is you working 16 hours a day. (laughs) And I thought that was the interesting thing. Because when people cry for change and they're like, we should, you know, socialism works. I'm like, okay, A, name me a place where it has worked. Um, and and that's kind of muddy on on where it's actually going on. And B, you're like, you're not replacing a person. Bernie might live for another, God help him, eight years, 10 years, whatever. It's a system you're wanting to replace. And that's the like, who are you giving the power and decisions to? That's right. I I I'm always mesmerized, but when people start thinking out loud, they're like, huh. Cause the cult of personality, hey, is Bernie a nice guy? I'm sure he is. But it's a system you're talking about, Trice. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. And I, I I believe that the results that we get in our life are in direct correlation to the amount of responsibility that we are willing to handle and willing hmm. to take on. And hmm. it often when you are not willing to take on responsibility, you still see that there are problems in the world. But what you are asking for is for someone or someones to take responsibility. So if if you want to make more money, there is a strategy of saying, okay, I want to make more money. I will take ownership for this problem. I will take responsibility for this, and I will find out how to make more money. Another strategy is to say, I want to make more money. I do not want to take responsibility for this. I would like someone else to take responsibility and I will vote in the person who will redistribute someone else's winnings to me. Both are strategies. Yeah, I just don't think that the latter is very effective. And I don't think that it drives change in the way that people think that it will. And so most of the people who are listening to this right now are at least somewhat personally responsible knowing that they're responsible for the results that they get in their lives. Yeah, I just think that if you take the more responsibility you take over something, the faster your results end up being. And there, and there also is a collective nature to us as human beings. We don't make this podcast if we're not working together on it. We're not building companies unless we have a collective understanding of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. So we have a collective desire to work together and to serve one another. I just happen to think we do that better when we're not under force. So that's uh, those are my beliefs at Capitalism.com.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times um, when I talk to younger people, Um, I think sometimes when you have them think out loud and they start saying, okay, okay, yeah, but, and a lot of times the, yeah, but is um, okay. If you're successful, then just don't be an asshole. Weigh in on that.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I would ask them to tell me of someone that they considered an asshole. And then I think, we would deconstruct from there. I, Well,
0: unfortunately, that dev- devolves into... Yeah, and I don't... And I'm going to quote the Tim Pool famous uh, saying, you know, orange man bad. Uh, really? I am... I'm not... I'm mm, I'm going to stay out of that one because I'm not really a fan, but um, I also know that... Well, just like when President Obama was in office, when he did something good, I'm like, hey, good on you, man. How yep. dare you? He's not on our team. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so sometimes I, it just turns into, but Trump. But, you know, I, like, I, I think sometimes... Those people that say I just don't want you to be an asshole, you're like fine. You know, like I've never gotten over the uh, hatred and vitriol for Bill Gates. He has convinced people to part ways with their millions to help, you know, cure malaria. So uh, when you get that, why can't be why can't you know capitalistic pigs not be pigs kind of thing? Your normal response is.
1: My normal response is you are confusing what they need to do in order to be successful. Here's what I mean. If somebody says you can be rich and not be an asshole, I would say you're right. And most of them aren't. Most of them didn't get there by being an asshole. You Mm -hmm. have one or two people in mind that you don't like. And I would be willing to submit to you that the one or two people that you are thinking of used crony capitalism mm-hmm. in order to be successful. I like that. And, and, I, and I would love to hear someone who has a counterpoint. I mean, I think the one example that has been presented to me was Martin Shkreli, who I believe is now in prison. Um, Martin Shkreli was a, uh, was pharma boy who jacked up the prices of a bunch of <laughs> prescription drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, who was but the poster all, child
0: also for like smug grands? Like you yes. couldn't hire a cartoonist to have a more prototyped <laughs> asshole capitalistic than Correct, than and, and, yeah. And, and the
1: only reason he was able to do what he did was because of government regulation. Because government regulation prevented other people from getting into the market, thus creating an artificial monopoly that allowed him to raise the price. And... Then when he did, other competitors entered the market and he went to, ended up going to jail anyway. Yeah. So I said, great, you got your way. What's your point now?
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, so w- w- a few minutes back when you said, that's, you know, I'm trying to convince people the capitalism, all sorts of stuff. It reminded me uh, during the um, Occupy Wall Street uh, week or month. Yes. And Peter Schiff went down there. Yes. Did you, did you see that?
1: I did, yes. I have a love-hate relationship with Peter, but yes, I that was one of my favorite videos ever. It was so well done.
0: If I had the word, if he had a, a dollar for every time the word, but still.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to love to go to the Occupy rallies. I went to the when I lived in Cleveland, Ohio. I went to the the first one that they had where they were marching on downtown, and I. They made it to their final destination. I was so excited to debate this group. And I went up to one of them and I said, excuse me, oh, what are you protesting? And he said, let me go get my friend. <laughs>
0: that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that's the one hard thing that, that's been, uh, that I commend you for is that I think that dialogue is going to be uh, what's needed. And there have been some people, I mean, that's, uh, of course, you know, if you watch polarized, you know, polarizing YouTube channels, it's either uh, you know SJWs versus logic or Trumpers versus you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if people are willing to have a conversation, a lot of times common sense can start to take over, and 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 I think that's one thing I, I was always kind of mesmerized by some of the things you were doing is that you were you're putting a a good light on capitalism, but at the same time, like. <laughs> owning the fact that it's capitalism.com and, mm -hmm. you know, having a little fun with that as well.
1: Yeah. So let me tell you a a quick story that'll get me into trouble, Don. So I went to Indiana Wesleyan university thinking I was going to be a pastor. And, and I came out on the other side of that, no longer wanting to be a pastor. And then about a year later, deconverting from Christianity and the entire time. And to this day, I would say my vote is live. I'm always open to changing my mind and I will follow wherever a pursuit of truth leads me. And that amount of openness allows me to play with different ideas without being feeling confronted or feeling defensive about any of them. I will always go to where the evidence or to where my conclusions or to where a pursuit of truth leads me. And that approach allows me to have conversations about capitalism, about religion, Around, about politics in a way that doesn't put any, any fear of people being offended on the table. Because if you tell me that I'm wrong and you can back it up, I would love to be persuaded of how I am wrong. I would love for you to help me take one step closer on my lifetime pursuit of the truth. And if you can't, then I will illuminate some ideas where I see some holes in your argument. And that that's a very powerful position to take, that you're always willing to change your mind and you don't need to defend a specific position.
0: Without being wishy-washy.
1: Well, yeah, I, I would yeah. say without being wishy-washy, but willing to change.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I was accentuating that that point. Cause I I I ironically enough, I remember I think it was <clears throat> I'm an audiobook guy. And uh, years ago, I was listening to um, The Art of Happiness with Harold Cutler and uh, yeah. His Holiness Dalai Lama. And there were several questions where he went, I don't know. Yeah. And there was a long pause. And like the the author and even people questioning him, they're like a little embarrassed that a, I don't really want to call him a political or well, I can call him a spiritual leader, but a leader saying, I don't know. And yeah, he's cool with that. He's like, oh, no, I'm not yeah. the expert. I can't remember a time. Like it's a sign of weakness here. So in the same vein, if you can be convinced, you're open to it. And I think that sometimes um, admitting ignorance, I I like, that's one thing I really love. We have a Friday segment where I co-host a thing called Crucial Conversations with Jamal. Jamal has a different background and he has a different life experience, but we're the best friends. And sometimes he's like, oh, Don, that's not the way it works here. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) okay. And so I have a perspective and we're good. Yeah. But the whole, and actually, the whole reason why we got started is, you know, we'd get into these amazing conversations. And, you know, I'm like, Jamal, that's not the way it works here. And he's like, that's not the way it works here. And we'd find common ground. And finally, he's like, you know, we should have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, I, that's, I mean, that, that is the beauty of the world we live in, where we can come to an understanding of how we do things a little bit differently. And we recognize that what would work here would not work for that other, that other community. And if we recognize that and we can step off our high horses that we know better or the way that we do things is the right way and we stop with this illusion that there is a right way that works for everyone, then we can be a little bit more humble in our approach and also a little bit more individualistic knowing that your way is fine for you. And we don't have to force it on other communities or other cultures. I think that is where the collective argument starts to break down. The collective that every group needs to align on all of the same fronts. They don't. Uh, The way it works here is different than the way it works over there. And that's okay.
0: I like that. So let's transition. You've got a book coming out. It's for pre-sale. I'm excited for you. Um, what, so I like capitalism.com, you're on conference, you're super, super busy with a lot of online marketing stuff. What made you think book, Gotta <laughs> get a book out?
1: Well, the best way to change someone to our side of the argument is to give them a meaningful impact in their financial life. So if you get someone to realize the amount of responsibility and ownership it takes to build a business with happy customers that navigates their way through tax law, that has to lead team members or be accountable to the very, very demanding changes in customer wishes, uh, you usually win them over to our side of the conversation. I don't know any entrepreneurs who are socialists. They realize very quickly that it doesn't make sense. And so because of that, my focus has been on helping entrepreneurs. I am, I I know that, uh, I don't know the exact number, Don, but a a lot, like hundreds of people have come up to me on the street over the years or emailed me or sent me a a DM on Instagram, contacted me in some way and said that they built a seven-figure business because of the free stuff that I talk about on my podcast and my YouTube channel. And so I put everything into a 12 month plan in my book, 12 Months to 1 Million, because I knew that it would be the fastest, simplest, most mass market way to put in the hands of aspiring entrepreneurs a roadmap to choosing a winning product and building a seven figure business. Mm -hmm. And if you do that over enough people during a time like this, when we have more opportunity than has ever existed, Uh, You
0: create a new generation of
1: capitalists. And that's why I wrote the book.
0: Mm. And uh, so talk to me about the the focus of it. Uh, I mean, uh, the subtitle, how to pick a winning product. Yeah, yeah,
1: so the subtitle is how to pick a winning product, build a real business, and become a seven-figure entrepreneur. And I break it into three stages. It looks like this. Your first three months are what I call the grind. The grind is figuring out what product to sell. Discovering what market you're in, answering the hard questions of what the heck am I trying to do here, and, and getting ready to go to market. The real secret to this stage is picking one specific person that you're going to focus on, one specific target market that you are going to serve, and identifying those three to five products that that person would buy. Because all it takes is four products at 25 sales a day to have 100 sales per day. And at about a $30 price point, that's a million-dollar business. It's actually 1.15 or something like that. So that's what it takes. Four products, 25 sales a day is a million-dollar business. So that's that's what we're solving for. That's the equation we're solving for. Our first three months, we're picking our target market with that one specific person in mind who buys several things and in casting an idea of what those three to five products to start with are going to be. Our second stage, we call the growth. The growth is launching that first product and getting it to 25 sales a day. And so we go through strategies to be able to have a successful, profitable launch that stack the deck in your favor to ensure that that product gets to 25 sales a day. And then the, the next section, the last section, that last kind of chunk is called the gold. And the gold is where we repeat the process over products two, three, and four to where we have this nice selection of products that are doing 25 sales a day and thus being a million dollar business. From there, you can either scale the business or you can sell the business. I've helped a lot of students sell their businesses for, for big windfalls, which can completely change their financial life. But this book is specifically about those 12 months of building the seven-figure business, or at least the foundation to one.
0: I like that. I also like the fact that you're trying to be formulaic. I like uh, you broke it down to how many sales you need a day. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's, there's um, and you can too, stuff out there. Uh, <laughs> Well, and, and and I'm and I like so uh, like depending on when I release this, I, I just you made a post a couple of days ago and it was snarky, and it was like, "Hey, you want to do a real business?" Tire like, because I, I I know that it was aimed after the and you can too kind of yes. guy, and yes. and I think that was kind of when I wanted to double down and have you on the podcast, and thank you by the way for doing that, but like that that's that's my only concern is that you're cutting through some noise of the um, hustle and grind guy. Yes. I'm going out there and I'm hustling. What are you doing? Grinding. Yes. What is it, what is it you're building? <laughs> Dude, I'm hustling. Success. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did I'm, you ever see, do you watch South Park? Um, I have, but not regularly. Uh, okay. Well, early in their career, they had a show called, uh, there was an episode called The Underwear Gnomes, and uh, they would steal underwear. And so finally they caught him and they said, well, it's our three-step process to profit. And they go, what is it? And they go, step one, steal underwear. (laughs) Step three, profit. (laughs) And Carmen goes, what's step two? And he looks over to the other underwear and says, what's step two? I don't know. (laughs) Step one, steal underwear. Step three, profit. Um, You're trying to provide a step two from what I see. Oh, I'm I'm a little bit taken
1: aback by that comparison. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the first things I say, I have a chapter in the book called that, that is about what I wish someone had told me before I started. Yeah, And the first thing I say is, this is harder than you think. And the reason why I say that at the beginning is because I don't want to paint the, and you can too, right. positioning of it. If, if you understand how hard things are at the beginning, they become a lot easier. If you are under the illusion that things are easy, you're going to get hit by every setback. Yeah. And so if you can accept going into something that this is hard and it takes time, if, if you understand that it takes a full year to break through that million-dollar mark, mm-hmm. first of all, you'll get through it, and you'll discover that it's worth it. So if you can understand that you are, you are entering into a year of challenge, figuring it out, setbacks, and you accept that, then you can too, Don. But yeah. If but if but if not, then every setback is a punch in the face, and you start doing things like. I'm so
0: glad there. you said that. I'm so glad you said that because th- I think that's where I see people suffer. And I'm I'm gonna give, and I I, I hope people are thinking, oh, he's taking a shot at Gary because Gary is the king of saying hustle and grind. Gary has he's also, also on been the cover one of the of my book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he 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 was like, this sucks. This is really hard. People choose to ignore that part a lot of time. So I mean, like. As soon as I'm, you know, I, again, not saying Gary's that way, but I, he is usually the first to say, this is really difficult. And he talks about sharing that. So some people just want to hear, and so can you. Um, and then that leaves people sometimes feeling like crap. They're like, wait, I thought, I thought I was going to be Gary. Um, meanwhile, you know, they are also trying, probably buying into all the, was it you? Somebody just pointed me towards uh baller Buster's Instagram page. It was not me. Oh my goodness. That was funny. Uh, I did not know the term flex offenders. Um, the, the people that take pictures by the Lamborghini that's rented kind of thing. But you know, when, when people fall into that and they're like, Hey, uh, why, why didn't I make my millions? I'm glad that you're specific in your goals and also really specific on this isn't easy, but, I do want you to get there. I think that's really, really, really important for a lot of people that, that are going to pick up your book and, and give this a go.
1: Yeah, I mean, Gary's endorsement is on the, the cover of my book. And when we were talking about it, he's like, you, you know the title kind of goes against everything I try to teach, right? And I was like, well, first chapter, we say this is harder than you think. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I have a nice relationship with Gary. Um, And I have been blown away by my realization that he is playing a game. And what I mean by that is Gary would like to do nothing else, but work a 16 hour day. Yeah, It's his favorite thing to do. And when you know what that is for yourself, you better damn well hustle and grind. Yeah. But if you are doing the hustle and grinding for the results that you think is going to make you free later, you're going to be in hustle and grind for a long time. I gave a speech once at one of my events. I do a yearly event called the capitalism conference. And my, I did a, a, a keynote that I called freedom is the doing. And I, talked about how most people think that freedom is the thing you get at the end of a lot of hard work. But freedom is actually the unfolding of the project and the processes that you're really excited about. It's not the ability to do what you want. It is doing what you want. That's freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom is the enjoyment of, of what it is that you are doing, not the ability to do something else later. And that's a big misunderstanding that people have about freedom. It is, it is actually the process of your own expansion and enjoyment of the process. That's when you're free. So Gary is free regardless of what the result is because he would choose to do nothing else. And when you would choose to do nothing else, Of course, you're going to go 16 hours a day.
0: Let me sit on that. I like that Um, because I'm I'm going over some of the people in my head that are equally successful. And actually, I was just thinking about this the other day. I I know some people that no one knows about, and they're fantastically successful, and that also makes them happy. Like they're free to not. It's like there's a couple people I'm like, why aren't you out there more on social media? I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Why? Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Um, one of a guy that we both admire. It confounds me why um, Jeff Hoffman isn't a household name everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: A guy is an inspiration. He goes and makes life better for people in right. other countries and here. Yep. He's he's relentlessly helpful. And, and and one time I was even like, man, what we up your social media game. And he's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to. Yeah. And, and he works really hard and what he does makes him happy. That's, that's a, right. I'm really glad you brought that up. I made a lot of, I'm going over doing the Rolodex in my head of people that are not just successful, but are happily successful.
1: That's right. That's right. And which one do you want to be?
0: No. Sh- yeah, buddy. No, I, seriously. That's why I was like, let me sit in this for a moment because in that moment, I was starting to like, see w- which side you're on. Because you know, the whole golden handcuffs thing, right? We both know people that are successful and they don't like their lives or right. their wives or their kids, sadly, because they're, they're constrained to, well, I'm making good money. And then you see people like a Jeff and you're like, yeah, this makes sense why you're so happy because you're doing what you love and you're free to do it.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Mm. That's exactly right.
0: I, when I taught the innovation class, I think that was one of the things that we always hit on was, ironically, we talked about it first. I'm like, I want you to be successful. I just want you to be a good person. Mm-hmm. But where I think I didn't uh, double down is is the freedom thing you're talking about because, like, I, well, it's it's what any teacher would want for their own children. Like, whether Grant, Ava, or Anna, like, what do you want to do? I don't know. I don't care. What makes you happy? Yes, and ironically enough, I think that money will always follow you if you're enjoying yourself,
1: and and you can find that enjoyment in a variety of different ways. And so sometimes things like the marketplace can be really, really good places to get economic indicators of where you will be the most valuable. But if you do that in spite of your own happiness, you're in trouble. So put differently. It is okay to look at what business is going to be profitable or it's okay to look at what career path is going to pay me a lot. It's okay to do that because money is an economic indicator of where there is need and demand and where there is inefficiency. And it's it's asking you to go step up and enter into that market and be compensated for it. It's, it's a, it's a signal. It's saying, please come here. But to do it at the expense of your own happiness is Mm. a mistake. Mm -hmm. So looking at money is a great indicator for where there is need. If you can marry that to where you are happy and in a place of contribution, you're very powerful.
0: Yeah. I I think I agree with everything you just said, although I've, I've been a little bit, um, there's been some d- deep discussions here recently on um, what is the term essential employee or yeah. what, what what is the term now? like yeah, that's right and people, people right. reporting to work during covid yeah, and uh, a lot of essential employees are making minimum wage. and that hurts me. I don't like it. however, um, I think one of the reasons why I taught for as many years as I did is is I, I wanted to, like, hey, I'm wanting you to get options. So if you don't want to be a fill in whatever low end job you want to, you know, talk about, then that doesn't. You can be if you want to, but you you can have more options.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and I, it has been a little bit ironic that um, grocery store clerks and um, Grubhub people are right in the same vein as healthcare workers right now.
1: <laughs>
0: and also.
1: Their price is going up right now.
0: Oh, mm, touche! No, you're right. Kroger. Oh, so, uh, well, you're this, an Ohio guy. guy. This, the, yeah, they've exponentially gotten higher.
1: This is the thing that most people don't factor in when they're analyzing the current state of things. Like markets adjust to where there is demand. So you have you have more demand on grocery store clerks, and so their price is going up. And so that, like that, that, and what does that do? It sends a signal, hey, people, you, if you're sitting around looking for an opportunity, this place is hiring. And, and that is the purpose of the marketplace. That's why capitalism literally saves lives, because it is the fastest way to allocate resources so that we can serve one another.
0: So I want to go on further. That's just such a like. Go, George Costanza wanting to end on a, on a good <laughs> note. Um, good night, everybody. Uh, no, I, I love that. I love it. Uh, because you're right. Uh, like under command systems, this is what you get paid and there's no debate and everybody gets assigned. And then under capitalism, Correct. The things that need to be rewarded, get rewarded. Correct. And, and, and I, I think that there's a lot of people, well, heck, I mean, do I think teachers are underpaid? yes i do um however we also have currency and the fact that we have relationships with former students that wow that sounded wrong wow we have uh <laughs> friendships that are bonded they, they, that that you you see people move on and progress in that and letters from students everything else that's that's also our currency too but um i'm gonna edit that out holy shit <laughs> <laughs> as a male teacher i'm going to edit that out let me start over do I think ed- educators are underpaid? Yes, of course. But I also think that maybe out of this whole COVID-19 thing, education is going to take a massive shift too. Ironically enough, I think that there's going to be a massive disruption.
1: Yeah, I think there will be too. And let's, I also like to tell people, you, you think teachers are underpaid? Okay, who decides how much teachers are paid? Mm. The government. Okay. Yep. So, what is, so is your, is your issue... Like what exactly your issue issue is government.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, ironically enough, I think, um, the shift you're going to see. Well, I, Jamal and I got into discussion about him. I, I told him, I'm like, hey, man, I think that a lot of schools might go to a hybrid model where two of the five days a week are going to be online and then you'll have more of a chance to collaborate yes, and more of a chance to do more group projects and, and like meaningful community projects. Yeah. And then Jamal brought up a great point. He's like, no, because that maybe for upper middle class and higher class, but not for everybody else. He says, because it's free daycare. And mm-hmm. I said, "Are you saying education is daycare?" And he went, "Yes." Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. Yeah, he's like, "It is daycare. Hopefully, it's educational daycare." Yeah, but he's like, "And and, and man, that's just a whole thing that that's the thing that scares me on on the haves versus have nots." Um, interestingly enough, though, I've seen well, more hold, innovation. Hold on, hold
1: on. I got to I got to dive into this. Okay, sure. So. With the haves versus have-nots, explain to me this concern between the haves and the have-nots in the context of education.
0: Okay, oh, I'm gonna blow your mind on this because um, what we call the bookends are where it gets scary. The and I'm going to be, I know that there's subtle differences, and I'm going to be extremely um, painting a, a wide brush here, but college prep, high schools, and troubled usually. Inner-city high schools, and in some cases, very rural, under underfunded schools, are the ones that don't want to change because they can't. Because, it, like we preach innovation and collaboration, and you know, moving around, being loud, uh, you know, fail early, fail often. Well, at the college prep level, there is no fail early, fail often, and they have this word called tradition. I'm going to change. Our kids go to Stanford, so the rate of change isn't happening there. And there's been this awakening that there's a lot of students that went to that good college and they're not hiring. And on the other end, you want your kids to move around and collaborate and be loud and fail early and fail often? No, 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 no. We have to focus on our state standards because if we don't get a certain percentage, we lose funding. And I have a lot of empathy on that, a lot of empathy, because that's the hand they're dealt. Our kids need to sit down and shut up and memorize this. That's the only thing that matters. Do they, and I'm not throwing educators under the bus, I'm saying this is the system. Do they care about happiness? Do they care about acquiring skills other than what's tested? the answer is no. So I think the has versus have nots, I think the haves are schools that have progressive leaders that are like, okay, seriously, you don't need to memorize anything anymore because you can Google it. Having skills and being able to Uh, you know, learning how to manage your time. I mean, like freelancers and gig economy are hot. No one teaches that. Uh, Those are the haves. And and so like literally, it doesn't have to be a socioeconomic thing. It's just, are you allowing your students to have time to think for themselves, problem solve? Who wants to hire a 19 year old and saying, hey kid, our competition's catching up with us. What do you think we should do? What do you want me to do, sir? As opposed to the kids like, yeah, let's get into this.
1: Yes, yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is the difference between the haves and the have-nots is not measured by socioeconomic status as much as it is by Mindset. measured by the degree of freedom that they have to Absolutely. To by, solve problems innovatively.
0: Right. And before I take uh, hate mail on this one, the haves versus have-nots, I'm on this decisively not taking this on a socioeconomic side. This is an educational side only. Got it. So, yeah, I uh seriously, that, that is what always scares me because like both sides, they don't see it coming. Uh, I, I've, I've seen a lot of kids that, that want to really good high schools that have all the right pedigrees. And then I'm not going to make fun of people's majors, but there's some majors that you're like, who's hiring that? Mm-hmm. And the answer mm-hmm. is none. And so mm-hmm. like, but I went to that good college. Yes, you did. That's not a skill. And, and then on the other hand, you have the oh good, and this is what really breaks my heart. You you graduated from high school, now get out. We we're done. You, you we hit our, you know you hit your standardized test score. your thank you so much. There's not really a lot of focus uh, or time even. And again, I'm not blaming the educator or the school. That is the government system that we have. Well, measure here's... measure these things that have nothing to do with real world anymore. And once they're good, then they're good.
1: So here is the silver lining in everything that you're talking about. You have the, the person, the young man or woman, who gets the degree from the good college, from the good school. That's a worthless piece of toilet paper. That's what the degree is. And when they hit the marketplace, they realize that they need to adjust. They realize that the marketplace only rewards merit it only rewards service to other people it doesn't reward degrees it doesn't reward reward pedigree it rewards service to other people if you allow the marketplace to do its thing it will force that person to be the creative genius that they can be if they take responsibility for their own actions and for their own results and so it my my situation was I grew up low middle class and thought I was going to be a pastor expected to make $30,000 a year as a, as a pastor. And so I started side businesses and I had my faith crisis, but I was an entrepreneur and I'm a full-time entrepreneur inspiring other entrepreneurs now. So if you don't intervene and try to save people from themselves, the marketplace is a fantastic educator.
0: I like that. Ryan, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for I, having uh, me, Don. Yeah. I love what
1: you're doing in the world.
0: I appreciate it. I uh yeah. I I I applaud you for um wanting to uh lead people towards success thank in a you non very much. in a non-flim flaming way, and I mean that. So thank you. Uh it well, wow. Let's do the cliche wrap-up. Hey, tell everybody where they can find you. <laughs>
1: Uh, they should go buy my book. If they, feel so, if they feel so compelled, if they're the type of person that is an inspiring entrepreneur who wants something real, wants something that can last, my book is called 12 Months to 1 Million. It's my life's work in one book in a fast-paced 12-month plan. If you feel so compelled, tag me on Instagram and let me know that you saw me here or that you bought the book or that you just enjoyed something we talked about today. And that's the best place people can find
0: me. Awesome. Amazon, Instagram. There you go, guys. Ryan, best of luck in the future, sir. And uh, we should get together soon.
1: Thanks, Don. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.